Good singing indeed. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter number 39. I had to figure out in the early service this morning why there were so few prime timers. They were out partying until about midnight last night, those prime timing wild houses. And we all know most of them go to bed around 7.30, so... It was a struggle for them to come to the early service, so we're a bit more full. That's a good thing in this service, in this hour. Good to have Zach and Sarah home. They've been on vacation. You can always see that hint of Italian blood in Zach when he comes back from vacation. Sarah's like the rest of us. She's just red, and Zach is like deep, dark tan, like it's the middle of August already. Anyway, I'm glad you are here. We're continuing in our series, Walking with God, as we look at the life of Joseph. And as we continue in our study, we will study this morning, Joseph and God's will. Let's read one verse here in Genesis 39, and our second point, we'll jump back to chapter 37. But I want to set for us the context of Joseph not just going to the pit, but Joseph's deliverance from that pit. This is the will of God for his life. He's already surrendered to the Word of God we saw last week, and now he's having to surrender to God's will because God's will never looks like our will is or how we think it should look. Look what the verse 1 says in Genesis 39. We'll pray. We'll read, I should say, and then we'll pray. The Bible says, Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Father, I pray this morning that as we come to the Word of God, we would allow the life of Joseph to challenge us. Far too often in our own lives, even good believers, we try to shape your will into ours. We want you to do as we say. And what you have expressed is that we must do as you say. That is your will. Help us to not just accept it, but help us to embrace it. The secret to success for the life of Joseph is that he understood your will and embraced doing your will. No matter where he was, no matter his circumstance, no matter his situation, No matter his surroundings that he found himself in, he trusted in the living God. May we do so as well. Bless us, I pray, in this hour, in Jesus' name. Amen. We determined last time in Joseph's life that he first surrendered to the Word of God. Everything and every part of Joseph's life flowed from the fact that he trusted wholly or completely in God's Word. That brings us this morning to God's will. What God did not do in the dream or the revelation to Joseph is tell him when it would happen, when it would come to its fullest fruition. Nor did he tell Joseph in the dream how it would come to pass in God's divine conclusion. All he told him in the vision, in the revelation of what he wanted Joseph to know, is that there will come a time when your brothers as the sheaves and the stars will bow down in obeisance to you. That word obeisance means that they will be in subjection to you. You will lead them. That's all he knew about the will of God for his life from the word of God in his life. It is the word of God 
however, that allows us to trust in the will of God. So today we turn away from the surrender to God's word in the life of Joseph and we move to the surrender to God's will in the life of Joseph. What do you know about God's will this morning? If it was Sunday school hour and we had time to ask questions and have you all answer them, I would imagine we'd get a lot of different answers as to what the will of God is. I know as a pastor, I'm often asked by people, Pastor, I'd like for you to tell me what God's will is. And often I feel a little sheepish when I say it. I say, obey this book. And the truth is, that's what we're supposed to do in this age that we live. What God has revealed to us in His truth, we must trust and obey. We must do. In reality, in the Word of God, we can see God's will in three realms. Now, I'm going to use some theological words here. I don't want you to get lost. What I want you to do is to listen and to learn. And we will see them as they play out in different aspects of Joseph's life in the message this morning. But in a sense of introduction, I have to spend a little bit more time this morning. And we must talk about these three states, if you will, of God's will. First, I put in your notes there, there's the decretive will of God. Now, that's a word that we don't often use, but it's the aspect of this. And I put it in your notes there. This is what God has decreed. What is the core thing that God has decreed about this, our creative world? The world in which we live in as the chief of his creation in it. And the answer is, all of it will glorify him. He has decreed that. The Bible tells us at the end of the book of Revelation that even those who reject God, who having opportunity after opportunity, whether through its general revelation and creation or the specific knowledge of Jesus Christ in salvation, those who have rejected a life or a, a choosing of following God, God ultimately will reject. But the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, even in that God is glorified. It's because he's decreed it so. He will be glorified. These are the clear instructions that change us into His very nature. He is holy, thus we should be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. This is seen in the very life of Joseph. There's no possible way that a man could have manipulated or charted a life such as Joseph's life was lived to accomplish what it ultimately did in the very way that Joseph's life played out. Where we read this morning for our introduction to the text into his life concerning the will of God, we find a man who is bound in slavery, being frog marched down to Egypt, the ruling power of the world at that time, to be sold at no will of his own. And so Joseph had to ask himself, is God really in control? What God has decreed, will he do? By the way, in our lives, many times when things don't go our way, when things don't go as we assume they should, we also have to trust and rest back in the decretive will of God. There's a wonderful passage of Scripture in Isaiah, chapter number 46, in verses 10 and 11. It speaks to this idea of the sovereign will of God, the decretive will, what He decrees. Here's what He says, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet excuse me, that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. This is God speaking. 
calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country. By the way, in context, he's bringing judgment upon Israel. And he's saying, that one that will come from a far country, those that will come to judge you. By the way, there's also a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is, what God decrees, God does. He finishes by saying, yea, I've spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also what? Do it. Every single time that evil was done in the life of Joseph, and make no mistake, what we read here is seemingly the worst of the worst, but it doesn't get much better. He's accused by Mrs. Potiphar of trying to impose himself sexually upon her in the next passages of Scripture. Beyond that, he's in prison and he tries to help somebody by just being a helpful soul and answering their dream for the baker and the butcher. And when the one is released according to the vision that God had given to him, and by the testimony of Joseph, he forgets him for years. It's in each of these instances that Joseph in his life had to understand God is still sovereign. He had a choice to make. God is still in control and he's going to do good because he said this would be what my life would be. And it hasn't come to pass yet. Thus I know I can trust in the will of God. Every time evil was done to Joseph, God could have intervened. God could have interrupted the evil, but he allows the injustice to happen. Why? Because this is a sinful world. God is not the author of the sin, but even within the mistreatment that we may endure for a season, God will still accomplish in us and through us his sovereign will, that he's glorified. The second word that you can write in there as introduction is the declarative will of God. Now, these are my words, not some deep theologians. There's probably a better theological term for it. What I mean is simply this. What God declares for us to do, we can know from the word of God. I put there, it's what God has revealed. It's what he's told us to do. There are instructions to be obeyed, the things that we are to do, the things that we are to cease from doing. Uh, hold your place here and go over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. It's a great passage of Scripture. It's, it's wonderful in it, in the sense in the New Testament, it seems that Paul to the church at Thessalonica is essentially giving to them what the will of God lived out should look like in the New Testament believer. It's at the end of chapter 5. But we pick up our reading in verse number 14, and and I want you to understand that Paul is giving an exhortation that nearly mirrors everything Joseph ends up doing in his life. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. Look in verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Was that true in the lives of his brothers? Well, yes, it was. Comfort the feeble-minded. Was that true when he was in prison with that butcher and baker? Well, of course it was. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you, quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil, and, he concludes, the very God of peace sanctify or set you apart wholly or completely. 
And then Paul adds, and I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This exhortation from Paul aligns nearly everything that we will study in the life of Joseph. From the pit to Potiphar to prison to Pharaoh to his prominence. Everything that God wills and does in the life of Joseph, we find him manifesting the declarative will. What God desires or what God says for us to do, I should say, in this life. We know that Joseph warned the unruly. He comforted the feeble-minded. He supported the weak. He showed patience towards all men. He rendered no evil for the evil that was done to him. He followed that which was good. He rejoiced regularly. He prayed. He gave thanks. He trusted in the prophecies of God. He proved God and held fast to that which was good. He himself abstained from the appearance of evil. And the very God of peace did in fact set him apart so that his whole spirit, his whole body, and his whole soul will preserve blameless so that we might study him this morning. Friends, that's trusting in the will of God. That's obeying. God's will is that we obey him and his word. What he has declared we will do. And the problem for most Christians is we sit back and say, well, God's got a sovereign will. What am I supposed to do? And the answer is all the stuff he's told you to do. There's a decretive will that he decrees. He's going to be glorified. But there's a declared will that you and I should be engaged in doing every single day. There's no difficulty, by the way, in understanding this. There's great difficulty in doing this. That's the Christian struggle. But then there's one other will. The third one I think we can see throughout the pages of Scripture. And that is the dispositional will of God. You say, well, what is the dispositional will? The answer is, this is what God desires. Uh, Let me give you a couple passages of Scripture. You say, well, I thought He just desired for me to obey. Yes, that is what He's declared for you to do. If you ask me, what is God's will? My answer is going to be, just do what the Bible says. Now, it may be, should I take this job? Should I buy this house? Should I marry this boy or this girl? Should I marry this, or or, or should I, should I, should we consider having children? All the gamut of things that the Word of God speaks to, we filter our lives through that declared Word of God. But there is a will that God in His heart desires. And He reveals that to us sometimes. You say, well, if he desires it, doesn't he decree it? Well, no, he decrees that he will be glorified and that he is holy. But his desire is that all men everywhere be saved. Notice what he says when Paul is speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. God, that it says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Will all men be saved? No. Has every man since the resurrection of Jesus Christ been saved? No. But has it been God's will that they would be? Yes, that's his disposition, if you will. He is bending himself towards that. That's what he wants. And man's will works against his dispositional will. Paul, when he preached to the Athenians, said this in Acts 17 and verse 30, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now, now, in this dispensation, in this age, God commandeth all men everywhere to what? Repent. Have they? No. Has God lost his power? Is he not accomplishing his will? No, his decretive will will always be accomplished. He will be glorified. And for those of us who are in alignment with his desires, his dispositional will, and have accepted Jesus Christ, we will enjoy the glory of God for the rest of eternity. But those who have rejected will not. Why? Because his decretive will. This is how we must understand the will of God. It's not some just simple thing to go, well, I'm just going to do the will of God. Well, do you know what that will is? 
God's disposition is that every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl be saved. That is his heart. That is his desire. By the way, within that framework, God also has some desire, some dispositional will for us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, he starts by saying, Now, the God of peace, and he puts a comma in there. And what Paul, or the writer, I should say, of Hebrews goes on to do is explain to us what that peace looks like or where it originates from. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, that God of peace make you, he says in verse 21, perfect in every good work to do his will. Working in you. This is God's desire. He wants you to say no to your will and yes to his will. And I'm still just in the introduction. I promise we'll get to the preaching. God wants to work within you to make you now, according to his declared will, in his dispositional will, able to satisfy his decretive will. That's what this verse is telling us. How joyful this is. God will work in us that which is well-pleasing to him as we mature in our faithful service and surrender back to him. This, by the way, brings us back to Joseph. A wonderful study. All three elements of God's will are found in his life. So in Joseph's life, we found, or find, I should say, number one, God's will and trouble. You say, well, that doesn't sound like any of those three wills you just talked about. May I say to you, most Christians, most people that get saved think, I got saved, I'm not going to have any more trouble. <laughs> Man, I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning. Or maybe I, I'm glad to be the bearer of true news this morning is what I should say. The misconception of the new believer is that trusting Jesus will solve and eliminate all their problems. No. It hasn't removed sin from the world. It's just regenerated you from sin's payment, penalty, and its power through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his resurrection life. Look back to Genesis chapter 37 now. I told you we would look back there in one of our points. In chapter 39 in verse 1, we find Joseph being conveyed down in shackles by the Ishmaelites, the Midianite merchantmen, and being sold to Potiphar. Well, how did this happen? I mean, last week we talked about the fact that he trusted in the word of God. He surrendered to God's word. This is what God's word says. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to behave myself in, how, in, in what I know of the revelation of God himself. We have 66 books of the Bible that teach us about the God of heaven and what he thinks. So we are no different than Joseph. But Joseph, in following God's word, found out very quickly that within God's will it takes surrender as well. Look in verse 23 of chapter 37. It came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat. Boy, you want to talk about loathing. As soon as the 17-year-old shows up, they take daddy's favorite cloth or, cloth, or cloak, I should say, off of him. His coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. And there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. Can you believe this? 
the callousness and the hatred of the one who loves God. They throw him in a pit, he's their own brother, and they say, hey, anybody hungry? Ah, let's eat. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, hey man, let's not miss this opportunity to make money. What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood, hide his murder? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. (laughs) What a self-righteous exoneration that was egregiously wrong. Well, it's not going to be our fault if he dies. Well, you sold him into slavery, you jerk. For he is our brother. And our flesh. You see, sometimes we read these passages in the Bible and we run over them. Can you imagine what he's saying? Put yourself there. He's not honorable. He's not noble. By the way, there's some people today that will use right words and try to sound honorable and noble. And they're no better than Judah. Well, he is our brother. Well, then don't sell him into slavery. Don't hate him. Listen to him if God is speaking to him. Well, he is a problem. So we got to get rid of him. And his brethren, it says, the brothers of Judah... We're content. I often have read that part of the verse number 27 and thought, there was one brother that wasn't content. <laughs> that was Joseph. <laughs> and Joseph's like, no, 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 don't do this. I don't like this idea. We don't care what you think. Get in the pit. Notice verse 28. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. It is from there that they go home and they talk to Jacob and lied to him the story that they lied to him. And we see the story of Joseph continues in our text that we read this morning in Genesis 39 and verse 1. And we ask ourselves in these moments, if I'm surrendered to the word of God, what does it look like to surrender to the will of God? And the answer is that in the midst of trouble, there is going to still be ways of help. Faith in God provides answers to all of life's troubles. But it is through an understanding that there is a greater will being accomplished than merely our own preferential desires of ease and comfort. God sometimes will take us as believers through very deep valleys. The valley of the shadow of death in many cases. It is in this trouble that the true Believer in God, the one truly surrendered to the God who's revealed himself to us, begins to surrender themselves that God's will is best, even if it doesn't make sense to us. And so we understand, letter A, that this leads the believer to understand suffering will come. Joseph's walk with God brought hatred and envy from those who did not walk with God. May I submit to you this morning as a Christian, yours will too. Guys and gals at the high school will not understand what you believe as a Christian. They won't agree with you. They'll hate you for it. They'll mock you and they'll make trouble for you. In the workplace, when you try to live your Christian faith, it's going to get a lot harder to share Christ with others. Why? Because they want none of it. Yet, it is what we are to live for. Paul's often quoted words to Timothy were in fact a reality in the life of Joseph. In 2 Timothy 3, in verse 12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly 
in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. Now, most of us have always read that in the abstract. Yes, that is true. But in 2023 America, it's becoming more of a reality. It's becoming more of a rubber meeting road scenario. Oh, I may actually have to live this. I mean, this is something for Christians that used to live in Saudi Arabia or communist China or in places where they would not allow the gospel to be preached. That was true for them. It's true for us now, too. God's will sometimes is for us to suffer persecution. Joseph is the perfect example of how we live successfully in a way of surrender to it. Paul's testimony, by the way, just before this, speaks to the same life Joseph lived. Here's what he says leading up to verse 12, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. But thou, he's saying to his son in the faith, hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Timothy was likely from the cities uh, near Derby and Lystra. He said, you know what was done to me in those places, what persecutions I endured. Notice what he says, but out of all of them, the Lord did what? He delivered me. His teaching, the Apostle Paul's teaching that follows this profound truth in verse number 12, that those who will live godly shall suffer persecution, is one that teaches us also of Joseph's life and how he lived and how he was prepared. He says, beginning in verse 13 of 2 Timothy 3, But evil men and seducers shall wax, wax excuse me, worse and worse. Is that true in our day? Sure it is. Was it true in Joseph's day? Sure it was. You think of the generation before, it was just Jacob and Esau, Esau being the one who rejected God. But it seems in Jacob, Israel's home, there was ten other brothers other than Joseph who had rejected God. They rejected the messenger of God. He says, deceiving and being deceived, but continue thou, Timothy, but continue thou, Joseph, but continue thou, Christian, this morning, in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. How? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect, mature, grown up, able to handle it thoroughly or completely, totally furnished, outfitted for good, unto good works. You want to be the right kind of Christian doing the will of God? Know the Bible. Surrender to the Word of God, and you can surrender to the will of God. The first truth to understand, understanding God's will and the troubles that we still will find in our saved or salvation life is that suffering will come. If it is in the form of persecution, there is a way forward for those of us who live by faith, and that is believe God's Word as you live out God's will. The second truth is that bad things can happen to good people. That is the case for Joseph. He's a good young man. Calamity after calamity after calamity befell this poor young man. At some point, the outsider might look and say, well, there's got to be something wrong with you. But there wasn't. We never find a sin listed of Joseph anywhere in the Bible. 
It doesn't mean that he was sinless, but none of his sins were causing these persecutions. None of these sins were causing the trouble. And so we have to conclude that even within the will of God, there are going to be some really bad things that can happen to some really good people. How do we know that? Jesus Christ, the perfect man, was crucified for not a single sin that he ever committed. If that's true, then you and I might suffer for Jesus as well. This world is cursed by sin. Thus, sin's curse, I should say, will manifest itself in tragic, unexplained losses. It will be revealed in our lives in injustices and outright inequities that are done to us. Suffering sometimes even comes when wicked people seemingly get away with the most heinous acts. Joseph's life, along with other Old Testament, New Testament, and the Son of God himself, life, teach us that responding godly is the only control that we have over our sufferings. Within the will of God, how do we respond to trouble? And the answer is by surrendering to the God behind the circumstance. I put in my notes here, you can either be a victor or a victim. Be a victor over suffering through Christ rather than becoming a victim through your own self-pity. And I know that sounds callous. I don't mean it to sound callous. It's just the truth. You can either be a victor in and through Jesus Christ. Joseph chose that path. He did not know who Jesus Christ was, but he did know who God was and God had revealed himself. And by faith, he was willing to surrender both to the word and now to the will of God. All right. If this is in your will, if it's at your hand, I can't control it. I doubt a 17-year-old was going to beat up the 10 brothers and get himself out of the pit. When he was thrown in the pit, the reason the Bible says there was no water in the pit, it tells us that he went all the way to the bottom. Can you imagine the damages that would be done falling 5, 10, 15 feet down to the bottom of a pit? A waterless pit? If there was water, he could have floated back to the top after being submerged and maybe found his way out of the pit of his own strength and his own accord. But the Bible tells us, nope, he was cast into the pit. There was no hope of helping himself. May I submit to you, you need to see yourself in that situation. The only way to live within the will of God is to surrender to the God behind the circumstance. Suffering will come even for those who are obediently living in God's will. But this suffering opens us to the possibility, letter B, that sanctification can occur. Now, please notice I didn't say sanctification will occur. (laughs) Oh, that it would be true that sanctification was a guarantee if we just endured this suffering. But it's not a guarantee. It is a possibility, but it's not guaranteed to us. Joseph's trials, Joseph's troubles, his persecution, were there to refine in the life of Joseph the things that God willed to be refined. Far too many people go through suffering without getting the important part of God's sanctifying purpose in either tragedy or trials or trouble. And Far too many believers are tasked with enduring the same type of suffering again and again because they won't learn. 
Joseph's life was a series of differing difficulties. The pit was a much different test than the one in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's trial was refining completely in a refining in his life in a completely different aspect than the tragedy of being forgotten in prison. And so time and again in the life of Joseph, we see that he just surrenders to the will of God and says, God, I want to walk with you in this. In the pit, Joseph had to learn to trust God. Even when things didn't make sense. At Potiphar's house, Joseph had to lean on his trust of what was right and what was wrong. No, ma'am, I'm not engaging in that kind of activity. It's wrong. And he ran. In prison, Joseph had to leave the timing and the timeline up to God. Hey, I I rescued you two. I I gave you one man the right dream. And you were supposed to go tell Pharaoh about me. And you completely forgot about me. He had to leave the timeline up to God. In Pharaoh's court, in his prominence, Joseph had to lead others using God's method. But all of these meant that first he had to surrender to God's will and God's work. In every instance, Joseph trusted that these were opportunities to see God's will accomplished, even if it didn't make sense to him. The key to successfully navigating a tragedy or trouble in your life is to look to see how God will manifest himself to you and then changing, turning, or obeying in a way of learning that comes from God's word. If you are sinning this morning and under judgment, please do not lay your persecution at the feet of God's will. Other than to say this, stop sinning. Seek forgiveness, repent, and be right with God. Trouble is the reality for every human being. Thus, every follower of God can expect God's will has trouble that we must navigate as well. From trouble in Joseph's life, we move, number two, to God's will and trust. If there's going to be trouble, then there's going to be an opportunity for us to trust God in the midst of it. Job said it this way, though he slay me, yet will I what? Trust in him. Man. I often wonder if that's what was going through the mind of Joseph as he's chained and being marched by the Ishmaelites. By the way, the ones who hated the lineage of God. Ishmael was the bastard son of Abraham and Isaac, the rightful son. The Ishmaelites wanted nothing but to destroy this line. They were very happy to take one of that line and put him into bondage. The psalm that Zach chose this morning, amazingly, while on vacation. Imagine how good this message would have been if I had known this was the psalm before this morning. It's wonderful. It's true. This is our trust. This is what Joseph had in his heart. Notice what it says again. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Not my righteousness, in thy righteousness. Bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for an house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately or privily for me. For thou art my strength. Notice these very words in verse 5 are the words of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. There he said, into thine hand I commend my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me. These are the words of Joseph. You say, did he write this psalm? No, but these are the words of Joseph. This is the trust in the fact that God's will would 
preserve him, protect him, and provide for him. It is of imminent importance to say once again that Joseph's life is of many other things a lesson for us to learn how we build up our own most holy faith. Surrendering to God's word allowed Joseph to much more easily surrender to God's will. Two truths that Joseph knew then about God and how God had revealed himself that were already in his life. Letter A, that God's will is good. Do you believe that this morning? I mean, we reflexively say yes. I, I doubt, I've, I've yet to see it, at least in our church. I've yet to see somebody come in when the pastor asks what should be an obvious spiritual question. Somebody go, no! I mean, could you imagine doing that this morning? Some of the teenage boys might do it next time, but I don't know. I mean, we all reflexively say, well, yeah, God's will is good. Well, do you believe that, though? In the privacy of your heart between just you and God, do you believe that's true? Our actions and our attitudes truly show if we believe God's will is good or not. Are you a complainer? Do you have anger? Has it become bitterness on what God has allowed or brought into your life? Then, friend, you're still struggling with whether God's will is, in fact, good or not. Let's set some truths forward first. God's design for man was perfection and not death. Sin, entering into his creation, forced his hand, death. It brought misery and destruction of the life that God intended for the race of mankind to live. Thus, God's will is still good, but the outworking of that will follows a winding path. It is quite narcissistic of a believer to expect God to do everything positive in their life. For him to prevent and preempt all evil and wrong that could ever touch the sanctity of my life. You would get the sense of the narcissism in that. I'll give an example. As a father to my boys, I do not shield them from all trouble. But I try and teach them that when trouble comes their way and they have to maybe suffer even unjustly, that they need to trust me, they need to trust their mother, but most importantly, they need to trust God. We had a practical example that happened just yesterday. Jessica went yard sailing. (laughs) Thankfully, I didn't. The boys went with her. Luke came home and he bought him a sketch art projector. Did anybody sell a sketch art projector yesterday at a yard sale? All right, I'm safe. I can keep going. It is the will of God. He brought it home and he said, Dad, I got to download an app. I'm like, what are kids' toys today? So I got the home phone out and I downloaded the app and then we connected it to the reader card and it was going to put the things on there that would project it down on the paper and he could learn to draw. And it said, card reader error. And I took it out. I did the old Nintendo thing. (sighs) Put it back in. Didn't work. Got another card that I had at home. Put it in. Didn't work. Time after time after time, it didn't work. And finally, old Luke said in his floor, Oh, I wasted five bucks. And as a dad, I said, You sure did. (laughs) So I don't go yard sailing. Luckily for him, Mommy and Grace came swooping in. Don't worry, honey, I have $5 for you. It's good to be the baby. 
Drew's over here nodding his head. I can't protect them from what life will teach them. Nor does God do that in your life. But you have to come to a point where you trust Him. And you recognize that in trusting Him, there is a good God behind the good will that He's doing in your life. God's will today is not perfection and perpetual bliss for mankind. That reality left when sin entered. It will be restored someday for those who have chosen to trust God in salvation. But for today, for now, in this life, God's declarative will, as Joseph understood it, is for his creation to please him. Revelation 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, Kyle was created created. That's how I read that verse. Do you? Are you part of his creation this morning? That's how you should read that verse. It's not only that I'm to please him, I'm also to glorify him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, Kyle, do all to the glory of God. It is a good idea to read yourself into the Bible often. How do we do this? We do so through obedience and surrender to him. Old prophet Samuel speaking to old King Saul said this in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. And Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? He's asking this question in the sense that King Saul comes back from killing the Amalekites and King Agag and he brings him back and says, this is my trophy. And God said, I wanted them eliminated. They're a picture of the flesh. They need to be gone. You're rescuing your flesh. You're going against my will. You've got to trust that what I say is good and do what I will because it's good. To that, Samuel concludes, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Notice the second part of it. The first part is do what's right without messing up and doing what's wrong. The second part of this that Samuel says is the one that we often overlook. He says, And hearkening to the fa- them better than the fat of rams. In other words, to listen when you've been corrected, than to just go and get all of these fatted rams. Obey and hearken, he says. That's the secret to Joseph's walk. That's the power for your walk. Joseph believed whatever was going on, that a good God was behind it all. He knew God was good, thus he knew God's will was, for his life was good. We know that God is good, thus all that comes into our life is for good, even if the event in itself is anything but good in that moment. Oh, there are tragedies that our church families have gone through that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. There are deep valleys and difficulties. And it's hard as a pastor to walk up and say, well, this is a good thing, isn't it? I don't do that because it's not true. In the moment, it's hard. It's difficult. It's nigh on impossible. But how do you make it through? You trust in the good God behind the circumstance. Romans 8.28 is often used in the hospitals for those dying or of disease. It is purpose written to those that love God, however. He says there, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Paul uses the word good. It means here to the benefit of or for the benevolence of one. All things work together for the benevolent benefit of those that love God, Paul says. 
It doesn't mean in the moment you will enjoy it. But it will work to the benevolent benefit according to God's will. You have to trust that. Joseph knew this. God's purposeful will in the grand weaving of the universe, my friend, is not to destroy you. It is not to depress you, but it is to deliver you. He has always had mankind's good at the heart of his being. God is not a malevolent God, but rather he is a benevolent God. We can trust that his will is good because he is good. Trusting that his will is good leads us to trusting that God's will is, let her be grace-filled. Grace for the good days, grace for the bad days. Grace for Pharaoh's house as much as for the pit and for prison. Joseph was bought by Potiphar in our passage. Can you imagine the humiliation? Can you imagine the outright rage that could have been going through his heart? How dare they think they can sell me? I'm a human being. We understand the ills and evils of slavery. Against his will. Not according to his design. Yet Joseph trusted that there was a good God in heaven and that that God would pour out his grace in his life. Here's what the Bible says beginning in verse 2 of our original text in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. Now, I always love that statement. I believe, if you read within the original languages, it says he found grace in Potiphar's sight. But may I submit to you, he also found grace in God's sight. Of course, the net effect was he was put over the whole house. This only happens, by the way, with God's all-sufficient grace. As the focal point of our trust, Paul's single, as a single man, excuse me, and with physical handicaps, could have easily said, I'm not going to press on until God solves my physical problems. But no, Paul says, that's not true in my life. I'm going to press on because it's God's will for me to share his gospel with the world. And so Paul writes those wonderful words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. He said, lest I get too big-headed about the revelations God has given to me. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. This could easily be Joseph's testimony. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, or for this physical thing, I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, these are God's words. If you have a King James Bible, and it's a red letter edition, they're in red, these next words. This is God speaking directly to Paul. In fact, it's Jesus speaking directly to Paul. He says, my grace is what? Sufficient for thee. Why? For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Whose weakness? Your weakness. Paul's response to that is, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities or the troubles that come my way. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then, then and only then am I strong. That's what Paul says. That's what Joseph believed. God's will in trouble leads to us living God's will with trust. This kind of living ends with triumph, number three. We sang, a mighty fortress is our God. It's an old hymn. It's a Reformation hymn. It teaches us great truth and deep doctrine. The men 
after the angelic chorus of the ladies singing this morning. It sounded wonderful. By the way, if you're up here, it always sounds better. Where you're sitting, I know you don't want to sing that loud. She did great. It was wonderful. Here's what the men sang on that third stanza, just to remind us of the triumph that is ours. Luther writes, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to what? Triumph, not as the next words, if you remember it, men, through us. You know, a lot of people will say this, I just want God's will to triumph in me. Can I tell you something? If it just stays in you, it's not affected you. He says that that truth would triumph through us. We have a world like we have because not enough Christians are letting the truth of God's word through the purpose of God's will to triumph through us out into the spheres of influence that he's given to us. Joseph was triumphant in the pit, in the passage to Egypt, and all the way to the fulfillment of his dream because he believed God was in control. This leads to two realities that I will close with this morning. First, there's comfort. Triumph looks like what for the believer? And the answer is rest. Peace. Contentment. The one that doesn't really believe the will of God, they're out trying to solve every problem that comes their way. And some problems are just there to buffet us. Paul just told us that. Who would you rather be in control, by the way? You or God? Me. Do that for a week. No, don't. But if you do it for a week, tell me how it goes. Okay, God, you can have control. It's yours again. I can't do anything right. Yeah, I know. Neither can I. The comfort that Joseph knew was not that he was in control, but that God was. God promised in his revelation to Joseph, thus God would have to prove himself through his own power. Can I tell you something? That's the kind of proving God loves. He doesn't like proving that he has to chasten us or correct us. He likes rather proving that he is powerful to accomplish in us and through us his will. Joseph rested in this fact. Far too many times we try and fix our troubles in our own strength. If we want to obey God, let him work through the troubles of our life. Comfort is ours through the peace that God's presence gives to us. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation, our trials and our troubles, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, when you go through trial and you rest in God's presence and power and He proves Himself true once again, that He is a good God and He is a gracious God, we then can go out and be an encouragement to others. Sometimes in our church, over years, I've been able to see one person's old trial through triumph and trust in God has led them to be able to say to someone way down the line, hey, I think I can help you with that. It's the power of the family of God. It's the power of a church. It's the power of believers being gathered together. I'm here for your benefit. You're here for my benefit. That's what he just said. But it's as we're walking and surrendering to the will of God and the working of God in our lives. Joseph knew God's comfort. We, through Christ's presence, know God's comfort, his, the presence of His Holy Spirit as well. No matter the abundance of suffering, I love what he says there. 
In the very last verse, he says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth in Christ. It doesn't matter how many, how many problems we have. Every time we come back to God, with how, no matter how big the problem is, the presence, power, and person of God is greater than those problems. It reminds me of Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help. In trouble. There's comfort for us in God's will. This is our triumph, but there is also confidence. Joseph's life from Genesis 39 had a few more twists to go. You would think the bottom rung would be being sold into slavery, but it kind of gets worse. He's lied about by his master's wife, who seems to be a harlot herself, an adulterous woman. And yet his testimony is. torn down in the eyes of one who trusted him, Potiphar. He goes to prison and he proves himself once again faithful to God and trusting in God. And once again, he's forgotten and let down. Time and time again, he had to just relax into the will of God and say, okay, this is what you've willed. I'll trust you in it. Joseph didn't know in this passage in Genesis 39 what the Ishmaelites would do to him, but he knew God's will always accomplishes his word. When the whole world turns upside down, when nothing makes sense in the circumstances that you are enduring, then and then alone know that God will be glorified in your obedience to his word in the midst of that trouble. God is honored and magnified by your humble trust. And the response to Him in love in every terrible thing that may come your way. It doesn't mean we like the terrible thing, but it does mean we can be confident that God is still in control above and beyond the immediate situation. Confidence is the resting Christ amidst the raging seas in the New Testament. That is the picture of Joseph walking in bondage as a slave to the Ishmaelites. Even in chains, he was triumphant because he trusted in the living God. So in closing this morning, God's decretive will for Joseph was that his life, the whole of it, would bring glory to him. God's declarative will was that Joseph would be in a position of leadership to supply for his family when the day of subjugation would come. And third, God's dispositional will was for Joseph to simply trust and obey his revelation every step of the way. My question to you is, how are you doing? Do you trust God? Do you do his will daily? I remind us again of God's desire from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Now the God of peace make you perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. You find three aspects of God's will in in that very passage. God wants you to surrender to His control in your life today. Father, help us, I pray.